would like to convince everyone of the idea that we need to stop being so domineering with our environment, yeah. you know, but I'm, I want to dominate the, uh, the predominant paradigm so that it yeah. becomes more harmonious, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you know, of course I don't necessarily have that power to do that. What I do have the power to do is to be real with myself about how am I interacting in the world. Hey, you a dreamer? Thanks for tuning in to the Reminders Podcast. So I just had a very fun and beautiful conversation with my new friend, Jake. Uh, this is someone that I met through the Very Ape Discord community. Um, if you're not familiar, Very Ape is another podcast. I've mentioned them before on the podcast, but um, if you aren't familiar, they're filmmakers. They just put out a new documentary. I guess it's been six months, but they just put out a... Uh, version of it where they're doing commentary of it that was super cool um anyway the documentary is about the hippie bestie scene um giving some representation to to that it's really cool they're the type of documentary makers where they're not like creating a narrative around what they're showcasing they literally just bring cameras and mics and document something so um super cool highly recommend it a lot of it was filmed here in ohio uh, a lot of it was at the nelson ledges quarry park which happens to be my favorite festival venue so anyway we uh we were chatting on that forum about dreams and uh dream work and we decided that it'd be fun to try to make a podcast about us just sharing notes on our approaches to dream interpretation. So I share a dream and he does his approach for interpreting it and he shares a dream and I walk him through what I call or what is called dream interviewing. And uh, yeah, we I think we both thoroughly enjoyed it and definitely got something out of each other's approach, very different approaches for sure. Um, his is an intuitive approach and uh yeah i don't know i was very impressed by how he was able to sort of read my dream back to me in a interpretation that honestly did resonate i'm usually pretty reserved or resistant towards other people interpreting my dreams or people interpreting other people's dreams generally speaking um because I feel, and what I've been taught, is that dreams are such a personal thing, and that the symbolism in it is is personal. It's our personal relationship to the subconscious mind communicating to us through symbols that would only really make sense through our personal associations. Anyway, that's all kind of explained in the process that he and I do together. Um, throwing it out there, I do offer this as one of the handful of services that I offer. So if you're ever uh, presented with a particularly vivid or resonant or alarming or a big dream um, that you are, are just dying to know what the message from your deeper self may be, then uh, feel free to hit me up. I'll walk you through the dream interpretation. I'll walk you through the dream interview, and honestly, it's a, it's a fun process. Everyone that I've done it with has gotten something out of it, and to be quite honest, I get something out of every dream interview that I engage with. It's almost like I get to secondhand experience and extract the value and wisdom that comes out of other people's dreams as well. So it's super cool, and I would like to do more dream interviewing, so definitely hit me up if you're into that. Um, I mentioned Discord. 
definitely come check us out and join the conversation on discord uh as you can see through this episode connections do happen on the internet and uh, i would love to see more of that flourish and in, in our personal discord server so so i'll leave the link for that in the comments and um yeah it was it was just a really fun conversation we definitely were fast friends and i'm sure we'll talk again hopefully make more podcasts out of it so let's dive on it I've had a super interesting relationship with dreams for a lot of my life, I feel, because I started accidentally lucid dreaming when I was really young, like six to seven years old. And it was the oddest. So I always like from a really young age, I was connected with my dreams. And I would every now and then just again, like accidentally, like lucid dreams start to fly and stuff. Um, I just I, I kept getting like further and further into that world. I'm like, wow, I can use like my mind to have like fun. And it, it was just weird. But. Uh, and I'd remember my dreams pretty much every night through like my childhood and teenage years. And nice. everyone's probably heard you start smoking weed uh, and you start forgetting your dreams. Uh, so it, it's a little more spotty now that I'm a huge stoner, but uh, gotcha. I still like with the intention of the dream work, like since I started doing this, I, I want to say as a practice, maybe two or three months ago, like very like in a committed way, like the dream journal does actually like help me remember my dreams every single night which has been cool. Um, so I guess you could say it's been more of like a steady practice for about three months. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sort of getting back into documenting them and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll echo what you said. I definitely feel similar that just the act of keeping a dream journal is definitely, you know, resulted in more dream recall for me. I guess it's just one of those things, you know, you prime your brain. Like if you're doing like a gratitude journal or whatever, and you know you're going to give yourself this little task at the end of the day or beginning of the day or whatever. You're going to be sort of like primed to look for more things to be grateful for. You're going to be more mindful or literally yeah, conscious exactly. of your dreams if you know that you have this practice that you want to have something to write down, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The intention with anything, like exactly what you said, before I did the dreaming, I definitely had the gratitude journal. And that's mm. just kind of like uh basic to my experience now i guess I, I find myself like really just being grateful in situations where everyone's like why are you just sitting there being grateful for the simple stuff i'm like i don't know I just that's how i've just trained myself now so yeah now it feels kind of regular um i still keep i still will write in the journal nice yeah but yeah it's uh where attention goes energy flows as my yoga teacher from youtube mm. says <laughs> yeah yeah that's 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 a good one for sure that's a good one to remember perfect way of encapsulating what i was saying yeah absolutely so what's oh, your yeah. process of uh working with the dreams once you once you write them down like is it just very intuitive or you said you have somewhat of a process yeah, so the process I'm learning, it's a Kabbalistic process, which is a mystical tradition, the Kabbalah. Um, so I'm kind of studying this book called The Kabbalah of Light, which gives kind of a structure to the dream interpretation. Because I feel like when you go into it, you don't really know what you're looking at or for. Like uh, a lot of people like to use like symbology or like, you know, certain like specific dream interpretations. This one focuses more on, like you said, kind of just... Um, it's more about just like looking for patterns in okay. the dream and uh, kind of going above, like it's intuitive was the word I was looking for that I forgot. It's a very intuitive process of like, what does the dream mean to you specifically? What are the patterns in the dream and how can you realize that those patterns are calling to you from your subconscious because they're patterns in your waking life. 
and you're kind of like meshing it to like, oh, wow, I really do think about this. And the ultimate goal is to have like a free flowing energy and to not really have any like stress dreams at all whatsoever. Like every mm. dream you have basically is a union dream or a sod dream, I think it's called in the Kabbalah. I'm going to mess the, the Hebrew words up, but basically the goal is like to have a dream of like pure white light. Mm. So you're essentially analyzing every pattern and like hang up you have in your ordinary life that keeps you from having a pure white light experience and waking out of sleep. Gotcha. Wow. Super cool. Yeah, that's that's super deep. Yeah, I've been loving this practice so far. And I guess what that looks like practically is like you write the dream down, whatever it is, whatever details there are. And then there are four stages that you look for, which is the story of the dream, the pattern of the dream, the question the dream is trying to resolve. And then the last part is called the the secret or the treasure of the dream, which means like after you've done all the analysis, if you have that aha moment of like, oh, that's what it was, then you've considered like you've gotten the key from the dream. So gotcha. I'll just write the dream down, like look at all the look at all the like the overarching pattern of the story. Like the the real world details they say are not so important, like what street you were on or like what clothes the person was wearing. It's a very intuitive, like more overarching process, looking at like the archetypes and repeating themes both in the container of the dream itself and where you can notice like repeating themes that happen in your own life. And then you kind of look at them, pick them apart. And then from what I can tell you practically is like, once you start doing this and then the book recommends like an active imagination process of like, if there was a problem in your life or in the dream, you imagine yourself doing the thing that you know is like the resolution to it. And then when it actually comes up in your life, I find myself doing the resolution part and it's a really like interesting way to move energy and clear patterns out. And I can't recommend it more highly. Nice. Nice. Wow. So how long does that process take for, for you to go through one dream and sort of decode it in that way? Is it something you're able to do just kind um, of like in a, in a sitting? Yeah, you can definitely do it in a sitting. Like I could, because Ultimately, unless you're like really looping on something or stuck on something, you, you pretty much know your own psyche pretty well. And if you're setting the intention to do dream work or like imagination work, you're probably willing to look at what you'd consider like your uglier sides, I guess. But I can do it in like, let's say like 15 minutes. I can just sit there and like analyze it. Okay, this was this, that was that. And then feel kind of that aha moment gotcha. where I realize like where I feel like I'm getting stuck is the parts where I'm most tied to my own identity. And I'm like, Oh, well, if I get rid of this pattern, uh, I don't know who I am, which is kind mm. of a weird thing to think like you're looking at the pattern that's keeping you stuck and giving you problems and giving you like anxiety dreams. But you're like, Oh, that's such a fundamental part of who I thought I was. Like, that's where I can, that's where it might take days for me to really feel like I've gotten to the point of something. When I, I was when the dream is touching something very deep, which is why I do the work. But it, I guess the quicker way to answer that question would be it depends on how deep the pattern is, but generally pretty quickly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I do a or I was recently like just within the last uh, year or two, I was taught this type of dream interpretation. That's a process. It's usually done between two people. You can do it. Like I yeah. have done it solo through journaling and stuff. Um, but honestly, it takes like a lot more discipline to do it mm -hmm. solo because it's it's not as fun. And it, you know, it takes carving out some time and attention to like actually doing the process. But I've gotten, yeah. like, like you said, you, you do kind of get more familiar with your patterns and with your symbols and stuff like that. So yeah. I've gotten a little bit um, 
quicker, you know, it's become a little bit more of a smooth process for me as I've been practicing it. But yeah, it's called dream interviewing. And essentially you're identifying each key symbol that comes up in the dream. So, so sort of in contrast to what you said that like, um, did you call them real world details? Like the color of someone's shirt, stuff like that. Right. So, so you're saying that that's not so important. Um, contextually that that could, I could agree with that as well, but, but this, uh, modality does sort of read into like, basically that everything in the dream is symbolic of something. Right. So it's just a matter of like, how deep do you really want to dig into identifying and, uh, decoding every single symbol. So usually you pick like, you know, the primary, like Mm -hmm. biggest symbols and, um, yeah. And essentially you just work through this, this, process of asking the right questions to figure out what that represents in your current life. Um, so I could give you an example, but I thought this might be fun. What would you think about, um, if you had a dream that you wanted to share with me, I could walk you through the dream interview process. And, um, have you ever guided someone through, through your process? Maybe I could tell you a dream and you could sort of walk me through how I would go about decoding that. Yeah, um, I've guided someone through it once, and uh, it was pretty interesting, the experience, because it becomes very intuitive. Like, I know there's definitely symbol sets, and like you said, I don't want to discount that everything is important, but the the specific thing that I work with just seeks to, like, move energy into a more conscious, um, like, it just seeks to, like, go, like, rise energy up to kind of like a Godhead source thing. But, um, and that's usually seen as um, having like very small details be unimportant as an overarching theme. But the small details, if it's something that you're focusing on, is a very big part of it. Like, if the color of somebody's shirt is a pretty central part of the dream, that would not be considered unimportant. But if the way the person is treating you is more of your focus than the color of their shirt, like it's kind of considered getting lost to just focus on the color of their shirt because the way that they were interacting with you was what was really making you uncomfortable. So you'd rather think of the shirt like, it's a very subtle process, as you can tell. But that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. moving to whatever. I don't have a particular, I don't have a particular dream in mind that I can share. Like, I will look through my dream journal and share one if you'd like. But if you had something on the top of your head, I can walk my process first, and then I'll sure. find something for you. Yeah, let's do that. Um, just in prep, I cracked open my dream journal, and literally the last one I wrote down, I think, would be uh, pretty cool to talk about. This was just last week. So when I was in grade school, from kindergarten through eighth grade, I went to a private Catholic school that had a church, like a part of its, you know, campus or whatever. So I was at that old church or slash school and I go to the kindergarten room and I'm looking for an old yearbook in there to find what year it was, which is pretty bizarre. Uh, I don't know for what, and I don't find it and have this like kind of weird feeling of like, why am I in this fucking kindergarten room right now. Like I'm a grown ass adult. Like, of course there's going to be no like evidence that I was a student here at some point or whatever. So I'm having that like weird thought or whatever. Um, so then I go into the back of the church and, um, there's this like just back room. It's like a waiting room or whatever. And I see Trey Anastasia in there. Do you know who that is? No. Who's that? He's the lead for, from the band fish which 
it's not a band that I've like ever seen oh, okay. or ever really yeah. listened to. I mean, I know they're like mm-hmm. prominent in the jam band scene for sure, but it was, it was kind of weird that he was the symbol that was here anyway. So I run into Trey Anastasia and, uh, he's looking a little, little miffed. Like he just doesn't look like he's in a good mood and it sort of had the feel that he was like a teacher at this school. And so I try, uh, I try to strike up a conversation yeah. with them and, um, he gives me like this little mini lesson and he's saying, if you're feeling like physically uh, not your best, or if you're like nursing an injury or whatever, that it's best to not just practice the same old stuff over and over, but to just mix it up. And he says sometimes when he's playing solo, he'll just start by building a beat and then just improv from there. And um, I ask if he like beatboxes like into a mic or if he like taps on his guitar <laughs> Just stupid details yeah. right here, man. But um, and he 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 taps on his guitar. Okay, so anyway, um, <laughs> so then I leave that room, and um, I know there's like a group waiting for me. I guess at this point I'm like back in school, and like like there was a class that was waiting for me, and I'm like late to the class or whatever. And I go in there, and um, yeah, I'm I'm late. The only other person that's entering at the same time as me is George Costanza from Seinfeld. And, uh, I love that (laughs) super random, man, uh, seemingly random, but I guess it holds some part of my subconsciousness. And, um, so anyway, we go through the doors and Mm -hmm. there's this huge 60 foot, uh, high dive, like a a pool of water kind of looks like a, uh, almost like niagara falls style like waterfalls but they're like into a pool and i'm like immediately pretty apprehensive about it like not super stoked to jump down but george immediately jumps and uh i'm stalling and there was like a there was like a urinal so i use the urinal real quick and i drop one of my guitar picks in there weird and um so then there's this like this attendant telling me like where to jump and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just stalling big time. And I peek over the edge and I see, um, someone that I used to go to school with at this school. And there's so basically it's just like a bunch of people that I knew were like waiting for me to jump. And I woke up right before doing that. Oh, that was the dream. Yeah. So very, very cool. Weird symbols for sure. Like, can't say yeah. I've dreamt about, definitely have not dreamt about Trey Anastasia. And if I've dreamt about George Costanza, it's been years. Yeah. <laughs> Can't I think recall we've all that dreamt about George Costanza at some point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, no, that's really cool. Definitely, yeah, a lot of symbolism there. Um, so in this practice, I was taught to say that I am, or anyone that's listening to this dream, especially interpreting it, I would say that I am the secondary dreamer of this dream because it came to me in the same way that it came to you, which is by surprise and full of mystery. So as the secondary dreamer of this dream, I would say that what I'm feeling right now is that the dreamer is really looking for an answer to something outside of themselves. Like I see this returning to the school, especially when you're very young, looking for the year because you're kind of, I sense that being the dreamers looking for a sense of orientation and I don't know if you have any connection to Trey Anastasia in particular, but it seems like there's a teacher that's teaching you something that you're not getting in the school because you had to leave the school to find him. And there's, again, like a loss of structure here because you've gone from the school to someone who's literally telling you to improv 
and to not really go with the structure around you. And then you're going back to school and you're not really finding anything there. So we're going back to a high dive area. And the high dive area is highly symbolic in a lot of ways. And water is very symbolic in a lot of ways. But within the context of this dream, I'd say there's something you know people are expecting of you and you don't want to face it. And then there's the need to go to the urinal, which is to kind of shy away from the challenge at hand. And you did mention that there were people watching you, waiting for you to do this high dive. And the brain woke up before the high dive actually was taken because the pressure was uh, not really dealt with. Like there was a lot of expectation and the brain didn't know how to resolve it. And there was kind of a reticence, which is reflective of the reticence of the consciousness to meet kind of the uncertainty and expectation to others. And I would probably close with that. Wow, that feels pretty spot on, man. I have to say the only thing I would add for, for the very end, um, why I woke up. And of course I don't believe in coincidence or anything. So I think this is just the way it happened. Uh, not, not that it's in contrast to what you said, but literally I woke up because my partner was getting up and getting ready for for work. And like, that's what stirred me awake. It wasn't necessarily like I naturally woke up. Like I did feel in the dream that I was going to jump. Like it it felt like it was going to happen. And I was like, sort of, like beginning to wake up a bit, you know, with my partner ruffling around and starting to hear noise and stuff and whatever, being yeah. slightly aware that I was dreaming. Like I was kind of looking forward to seeing myself do that yeah. exciting and scary thing, but alas did not happen. Yeah. So I think that in and of itself is also symbolic, but, um, it is. yeah, no, that, that, that and felt, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That that definitely felt resonant though, the way you very yeah. intuitively spoke about that. Yeah. That was cool. Thank you. I'd be interested if you wanted to share uh how your interpretation of that dream went, like on your own, if you did an interpretation. I didn't, yeah. This the, that was uh, on the fourteenth, so it's been it's been plenty of time, but I, I haven't worked with that dream. Um we could use that as the example and I could give you an idea of how I would approach that with the dream interview, if you like, unless you had one that you wanted to get into a dream of your own that we could do. Uh, I didn't. So you could save me a little bit of pressure. Okay, <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Especially if we do end up using this for a podcast, getting into dream work, gets real personal real quick. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could, I could skirt that, but I do have it here. Like, I, I won't take the easy out if you don't want me to. But I do. Have no, I'm down. Here. Yeah, no, literally. Either way, either way. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this in the interest of reciprocation because I, okay. I I can't let myself just get away too easily. All right, respect. Actually, this dream I remember. I don't think I actually interpreted it. Same as yours, and this was longer ago. So, I am walking around the distorted version of New York City. I want to eat at a particular restaurant, but there is something I want. I notice a large parade float-like Buddha balloon is floating above a closed Thai restaurant in a football stadium. I want to eat with the huge Buddha balloon, so I walk onto the field and steal it. It's very large, though, and cumbersome to carry. Never mind that I felt guilty walking around with something so conspicuous in the first place. So I leave the balloon in a roofed area near the stadium entrance. I'm certain it won't float away in this location. I only hope someone will find it when they go to open the store tomorrow, as I don't want to have stolen it. As I eat at the place I mentioned earlier, I realize I likely would have been able to see the balloon from where I was sitting in the first place. And that's the end of the dream. Gotcha. Cool. 
Yeah, that, that should be a good one to work through. Like you said, not not too long, but definitely definitely detailed. So what would you say would be the, the, the main symbols of that dream? Uh, I think it's interesting that the balloon is Buddha-shaped, which yeah. uh, definitely is highly portentous, and it's definitely an image I work with a lot in my waking life as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that um, definitely and- stood out to me the most. And there's irony in the fact that I'm stealing something that's supposed to be so holy. Mm. Sure, sure. Um, cool. Any other main symbols in that that you would identify or mostly just that? Um, it was sitting in the middle of a football field, yeah. which I don't have any particular connection to, but that's definitely a big part of it. Yep. And the last thing I didn't, this is bad dream recording, but I remember it as I'm writing it is that uh, I mentioned I left the balloon in a roofed area, which reminded me a lot of the New York train station. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Let's get maybe, maybe one or two other symbols to break down on this. Uh, If you don't have another immediately in mind, I thought maybe um, just that your first pursuit was to find something to eat. I think maybe eating would be a symbol. Yeah, sure. Okay. Can you think of any other primary symbols? Or should we go um, with that? I guess the restaurant was a Thai restaurant specifically. Yeah, that, that did also stick out to me. Cool. Sweet. Let's let's go with those. All right. So what we're going to do is as if I'm an alien or, you know, a child or person that doesn't know anything about anything explain i'm going to ask you to define each term okay and then and then we'll go from there so buddha like i okay, know nothing cool. about anything what what is buddha buddha uh is to the best of my knowledge a being that lived 2000 years ago that has been awakened to his true nature and understands the fundamental nature of reality and how to live in each moment as it is Cool. Nailed it. I'm going to read back what I wrote down. So a being from 2000 years ago, 2000 plus years, an awakened one that has understood the fundamental aspects of reality and is able to live in a insert whatever words you use that I didn't catch at the end. Uh, Does do any of these words jog any idea, spark any idea? as to anything in your life right now. Uh, could be a person, a situation that you're dealing with, a part of your psyche, anything at all. Does that remind you of anything in your current life? Um, I guess I try to show up as the Buddha as best as possible in every moment, which I think is the goal of Buddhism, is to basically be as present as you can be. So I guess it's a, it's a, it's a symbol of a, like my high watermark of achievement, I guess. Gotcha. I can see it that way. Gotcha. Could I summarize that or distill that down to like ideal version of yourself? Yeah. Does that feel appropriate? Okay. All right. So I'm going to call that ideal self. So football field, what's a football field? Football field is a giant area where people play a particular kind of game called a football. We might want to also break down the word football, but I'll try it this way. Uh, does yeah. giant area where people play football jog any idea <laughs> in your brain of something that you would relate to your current life? To anything, my current life? Anything um, in your current life situation. 
giant. Uh, I want to say no. Field. The first thing that comes to mind is just the football field for my high school, which is not in my present experience, but that's, okay. that's immediately what I think of when I think football field. Gotcha. So let's break that down a little bit more then. How would you define football? Football mm-hmm. um, is a game. Um, how would I define football? I don't know. It's a game people uh, throw a ball to each other with and catch it and try to win. So a giant area where people throw a ball at each other to try to win. Does that make you think of anything in your That's, current life situation? <laughs> or is it just what it is? Um, on the surface, it's just what it is. But symbolically, we can actually get pretty deep here since something just came to me. Is that, um, yeah. I guess, it can symbolically be thought of as kind of... I don't know how to describe this exactly, but I'm seeing an image about it. Kind of everybody looking to each other to for validation for their own achievement because I'm, I'm seeing like the ball being passed as like people throwing their sense of uh belonging to each other which is maybe a stretch for football but that's what's coming to me no that's that's exactly what this process brings out yeah i love that that's super cool oh, yeah so i actually nice. forgot to add that little disclaimer too before doing this process that like it's kind of a situation of like first thought best thought you know definitely a stream of consciousness yeah, type, of, okay. type of thing so yeah whatever comes to you first just throw it out there even as weird as it may sound um yeah you just never know what what thread it might pull okay so i summarize that as looking for external validation does that feel yeah. appropriate so eat what is eating eating um, to someone who's never heard of the term eating before, um, a human body requires energy and there are certain substances that the human body can consume in order to maintain that energy and not die. Cool. So human consumption to maintain energy and not die. Does that make you think of anything in your life to remind you of anything? To consume, not to die. Human consumption. Um, yeah. So as to maintain energy. Definitely a large portion of my own consciousness goes to finding out day to day how I'm going to continue to eat and absorb and maintain. And uh, yeah, it's very present in my experience, the thought of, you know, where's the money coming from? Where's the food coming from? Where's the water? Where's the shelter coming from? Definitely a big framework of my waking life is around that. Yeah, totally. Um, could we summarize that as saying, what do you think? Maintaining equilibrium? Maintenance in general? Um, maintenance of healthy experience, I guess, okay. maybe. M- maintaining health. All right. And then the last one, we had the Thai restaurant. What's a Thai restaurant? Thai restaurant? Uh, well, we can jump off from the point of food now that I've gotten this alien to understand food. And so the yeah. stuff that gives you energy, uh, <laughs> there are different places that make it differently. And this Thai restaurant uh, makes the food and serves it to you in a place that is particular to the region of our globe known as Thailand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, does <laughs> makes food in a Thai way remind you of anything in your life? <laughs> you know, it may sound ridiculous, but uh, Thailand is definitely very Buddhist connected. So, which is why I guess the the Buddha was out with the balloon there in the first place. So. I guess tying all these things together, which is a very interesting way, would be uh, maintaining energy through the perspective of a Buddhist lens because it's mm. food coming from a Buddhist source. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so actually, why don't, we, why don't you tell us the dream again and insert these new interpretations? Okay, so to recap, so Buddha, we were calling ideal self. Football field became looking for external validation. Eat is maintaining health. And Thai restaurant is maintaining health via the awakened way, if you will. <laughs> That's, yeah. I, I already, before I even get back into this, I just want to say I love this process because it brought up like so much, like, tangential information that I was like, I, I would never have connected those things, but it's interesting that they're actually there. So I really do like this process. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm walking around in a distorted version of New York city. I want to eat. I want to acquire energy at a particular restaurant, but there is something I want. A large parade, like image of my ideal self is floating around Above a closed tie, above a closed tie restaurant in a football stadium. So above, so this balloon of my ideal self is floating above a place to get Buddhist energy, in an arena of people looking for external validation. Mm. I want. This is wild. Yeah. I want to eat with the huge. I want to eat with the balloon of the image of my ideal self in view. So I walk onto the external validation arena and I steal this image of my ideal self. It's very large though and cumbersome to carry. Never mind that I was feeling guilty walking around with something so conspicuous that I stole. So I leave the balloon, which is the image of my ideal self. I leave this image of my ideal self in a roofed area near the stadium entrance. I'm certain it won't float away in this location. I only hope someone will find it when they go to open the store tomorrow, so I haven't truly stolen it. As I acquire energy at the alternate place I mentioned earlier, I realize I likely would have been able to see the image of my ideal self from where I was sitting the whole time. And clarifying question, what was the restaurant that you ended up at? Was that the Thai restaurant? It wasn't the Thai restaurant. It was somewhere that I was about to, like, I, this is, again, just bad detailing, but I was about to eat somewhere, I think, and I, I wanted to see this balloon from where I was about to eat, and the Thai restaurant was closed, so I, I just wanted the balloon. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. So if I were doing this process with myself or just on a deeper, more thorough level, I would also have made sure to include your location that you started in. So yeah. a distorted version of New York city. That's a, that's a symbol. That's a, that's a primary symbol for sure. Right. So we definitely could have gone into that for a little bit more clarity. Um, 
and then yeah so basically that um is the process so yeah you're, you're just identifying these main symbols and then making sense of it so that's the process we're in now we're gonna make some sense of why were those symbols interacting in the way that they're interacting right so does anything intuitively uh come up for you or is there any more clarity to what the message of the dream is for you after after sort of decoding those symbols Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, it's, it, I guess it is easy just to get lost on the face of things. But yeah, I, there's more clarity in the way I just walked through the world to begin with, which didn't seem like what this dream was about. But it definitely looks like using the symbols we established here that I'm because I guess in waking life, I always have to acquire energy from somewhere like food or, you know, a job for money or whatever it is. But I'm always trying to do it through the lens of truth and compassion. So I guess using these symbol sets, I'm kind of noticing, oh, when I walk around the the football stadium, which is the arena of external validation, which I guess is a weird way to call the world. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm always trying to do it. In, um, and there's a, Porsche, a portion of myself that might try to steal the ideal version, but that's not going to do anything. I did it. Yeah, it definitely illuminated a lot about this dream, but I was kind of at a loss of, which is why I didn't interpret it because I was like, I don't know what's going on. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. So, so that was the other one I was going to mention is uh, steel. That's a definite symbol that yeah, that we yeah. could break into. Um, what What's your intuitive uh, thought on that? So, you stealing your ideal image. What What is that? What do, What do you make of that? Yeah, um, I guess what the it's if it's first thought, best thought, it feels like I can't get there on my own, so I have to cheat my way through the gate, I guess, would be mm. the thing. Gotcha. I was like, oh, this, this seems this seems really hard, so I might as well just go go steal it. Do you have an <laughs> but, example but I guess of your dreams are back? Cause I, example, yeah, like what would that look like? Trying what, to steal, yeah, what is like stealing your ideal? Yeah, yeah. What's a real life example of what that would look like? I guess from the perspective of trying to show up as my best self would be faking it or like, you know, like quoting uh, a philosopher or something or like, you know, like reciting what I know is probably the the best thing, even though it's not what I'm feeling. Uh, that, that feels like a form of stealing my ideal self is to like be phony holy, I guess. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, the first thing that came to my mind, which I almost don't even want to say, is uh, like the spiritual like jump cuts of like using psychedelics or whatever stuff like that, which I don't really believe that. I don't really think that those are like shortcuts that aren't actually like valuable, you know, but that definitely has been a, yeah. a uh, expressed discredit of the psychedelic movement from... I don't know who, but I've definitely heard that narrative of like, oh, it's cheating. That's like spiritual yeah. cheating. You're not reaching enlightenment. You know, you're just like taking a drug or whatever. And like, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would would say that taking psychedelics is actually achieving enlightenment. But I think yeah. that there's a lot of value to glimpsing uh, a, a clearer light in that sense. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, 
even just you having brought that up because there is definitely a portion of my consciousness that definitely does feel guilty about using psychedelics because I'm like, well, you know, the, the old monks didn't need it. So I'm, I'm just kind of trying to shortcut it because I'm not good enough. Like that's not something I didn't even consider and I don't walk around with, but it definitely, when the tab meets the tongue, there's definitely that, that shadow of like, oh, well, if I was really good, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't need this. But like overall, I really do agree that uh, they're they're tools. They're they're not innately harmful, but there is there is that like narrative that you mentioned that definitely does exist. I feel that that shadow of guilt as well, in a certain sense, and I think it's just programming. Like I don't think that there's anything really necessarily true about it. I think it's just part of the programming, and we don't. We I mean, I, I'll speak for myself, but I don't know that monks weren't using entheogens as a part of their practice you know what i mean i mean as like a western american just like looking at buddhism through the lens and filters of of the lens and filters that i see buddhism through you know what i mean like i'm not actually in india or in a buddhist practicing culture you know i don't really know what it either was like or is like currently you know yeah that's very true too I think there's probably yeah, stuffy, like, true. fundamentalist Buddhists, just like there's stuffy fundamentalist any religious people. And I think there's probably more liberal, more progressive, open-minded Buddhists and Hindus as well, you know what I mean, that do make that a part of their practice. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, like, I definitely use the Buddha as a symbol for that yeah, ideal self. Like that the dream reveals that, but it's true. But I wouldn't consider myself like a practicing Buddhist. So it's not like I feel guilt about, you know, not being like a great Buddhist or anything. So it's just I guess the kind of idea that, you know, there there were old masters that were able to do this on the natch. And uh, I guess I, I feel like um trying to shortcut it but like i i definitely don't have any like religious guilt or anything because I, I don't associate with any religion really. But I I just look at I guess what what's that saying? Like the point, the the finger pointing to the moon is not the moon. Like I don't I don't want to mistake the teachers or the teachings for the truth, but I think a lot of religions and old mystical teachings do have a way to show you the truth. But yeah, I agree. I think getting caught up in their details is really the helpful way. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm finding that we're very similar in that way. Um, I also like do see Buddha as an ideal self for sure, but you know, I'm not a practicing Buddhist and I guess part, yeah. parts of my psyche feel maybe a little guilty about that or I don't know if guilty is the right word, but like I'm aware that I could be a more disciplined person, uh, practically right. speaking and spiritually speaking, um, spiritually speaking, I don't know. I could go into a tangent about that, but for now I'll keep going with my original point. Um, And and that's what I do uh, praise religion for, is that it is a particular set of disciplined steps, you know, especially Buddhism, you know, it's, it's more or less a, uh, like the first self-help philosophy, step-by-step self-help philosophy than it is like a mythos in that way it's not really a religion about story it's a philosophy about letting go of story you know what i mean um so i think that if it's oh absolutely yeah like followed to a t like i i trust that that is actually probably a reliable path to take so in in a certain sense i recognize that oh i'm not really like super disciplined to any particular path other than like 
having compassion and gratitude for my Willy Wonka path, you know what I mean? My willy nilly path. Yeah. yeah. No, that that's definitely very well said. I feel pretty much the same. Um, you know, I don't think it's really very helpful to really hold every single thing that like any any religious teaching, born into it or not, like just just think strictly like I must do it this way, this way, this way, or I'm bad because most of the priests or monks or Zen masters or whoever are not doing it that way anyway. And I think the best ones are the ones that will admit that and just tell you, you know, you know, God is in your life anyway, whatever source, the universe is in your life anyway, and you really can't go wrong or lose it. And in my view, the practice really, which is what the Buddha represents to me is just to be present because you don't actually need any teachings or intellect or anything. You just have to get out of your own way. And that's really what I put as the high watermark of that symbol to me is just being able to get out of my own way so much that I can just accord with everything around me. And that doesn't like rely on being hung up on a particular doctrine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Super well said. I absolutely agree with that as well. And, you know, and that's like the, the beauty of having these kind of conversations too, is it, it helps me burn out my programming, you know, because that, that's just, those are thought programs that's conditioning within my psyche. And, uh, if it goes unexpressed or un uh, examined, you know, just, it just will continue to fester or stagnate or whatever it is doing, you know, but in, in a deeper truth, I do feel a, what you just said and B just to expand upon it, um, that we're in an era of moving past the need for that particular degree of structure or what I'll call like the age of the guru, you know, I think that um, the the truth yeah. in all of the awakened masters or ascended masters that we look up to, you know, whether it be Siddhartha as the historical Buddha or Jesus as the historical Christ or uh, the other ones, um, you know, as much as we want to put them on pedestals and like the role <laughs> the the role models that we should be, um, you know, following their steps, they didn't do that. They didn't follow someone yeah, else's yeah. steps. They bloomed they just discovered that they are divine and they just lived divine you know i think uh then people just were like oh i dig that let's uh that guy seems to know what he's talking about maybe we should like <laughs> worship what he says yeah. <laughs> you know and i think that's where it gets messy real quick once oh, yeah. we externalize our validation in that way it becomes a another football uh, game <laughs> the game of yeah, passing we're, we're the truth the you know? looking for the validation <laughs> yeah yeah literally yeah it's a fantastic reminder though that you just gave which is i think i heard it this way which is buddha was not a buddhist and christ was not a christian like they they had their own path they did their own thing and then people looked at it and it's like exactly like you just said like, oh like wow that is something that i can't do but they did so i'm going to laud them but even their entire message was don't worship or laud me because you can do this. Jesus said that, Buddha said that. All, like you said, all the others, like every other prophet that I can't name pretty much had that as their main goal of communication, which is you are as I am, I am as you are. And I guess when you can't accept that, you externalize it. But the truth really is that they're all saying, look inside yourself. Exactly, exactly. And I guess that's, it's so hard to do that. 
that we create these mental gym- gymnastics and yeah. create these organized ways of of not doing that of not just sitting down and i mean of course and that's why i do almost romanticize uh eastern religion in a way particularly buddhism yeah. because it does seem that there is more of a practical practice within their religion where they really do practice meditation you know they yeah, really yeah. do practice yoga stuff like that whereas like christians really do practice what judging people i mean i hate to say that that sounds judgmental of my of me but you know what i mean there is a level of service like they definitely uh you know put that as a high value of serving the community but let's be honest a lot of times it's kind of just uh virtue signaling yeah yeah <laughs> you know no I know, um, I know what you're getting at yeah yeah yeah, what I think of too when I think of the Christians, again, like not they, they have a good like the intention I think is good, but the practice I think is uh far afield from what the message is. But uh like I think what the Christians do as a practice is kind of the inverse of what a lot of the Eastern things do, which is again externalized. Like when they go, they get the communion and the blood, like there's something outside of them and they're told they have to go every Sunday to get this thing that they don't have because they need to get it every week to be, you know, to re-up their holiness. Like it's very, it's a practice of externalizing power. Whereas like you said, the, the Easterns have like more of a fundamental practice of keeping power within, like doing yoga, doing meditation. So I guess that's why people that think in the way that we seem to think gravitate towards those practices because they're more bringing center back within you as opposed to looking at like, you know, an image on a cross and saying like, that was it. And it can never be you. Like the Easterns kind of do the opposite. Like Taoism and Buddhism is more like you already have everything that you need. Just remember that every day. hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I will say that I tried not to fall into the, uh, you know, really easy, uh, mind trap of uh the grass is greener on the other side type Mm -hmm. of thing you know what i mean like i would imagine that there's probably uh you know people young people on the other side of the globe uh, that were brought up with eastern religion that maybe romanticize western religion you know in the sense of uh let me frame it this way I think that truth lies in the neutral center of most things. And since we sort of live in such an imbalanced system and culture, uh, globally speaking, but definitely in this country, um, I think we're so far on this side of this pendulum, we just want to swing it all the way over there and be like, oh, no, that's the thing, you know? But then it's like, for me personally, like, I found a lot of truth and um, relief and resonance in Buddhism and Taoism in particular. That's still probably my favorite is Taoism. And, and I guess the Western version of that would be like non-duality in general. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that feels the deepest to me. But practically speaking, yeah, I, I can definitely admit that that's led to what people call spiritual bypass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To the point where um, maybe I am less inclined to serve my community because I don't believe that I have to do that to be a valuable spiritual person or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And I think that there is like functional value in doing good things, of course. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, I don't know, about. I, I like your point about the romanticizing things, like about the people brought up with Eastern traditions uh, might romanticize Western, which I'm sure they do. And I, I guess what that would point to is kind of just, I guess anybody can get lost uh, when they're so deep within something. Like, I don't know what, I, you mentioned this earlier, and I didn't, I never even really thought of this, but I agree. Um, I don't actually know what Buddhism or Taoism look like when they are practiced in their homelands. Like, I have an idea, and I've read books, and I've heard things, but I've never really witnessed, like, practicing Taoists and Buddhists. They might be uh, like practicing Christians are here to someone who has read a lot about Christianity but never been to uh, Alabama. Like it's it's a very different vibe from the book to the people, so it could very well be that people have been raised in a you know like a fifth generation Buddhist household that, you know their their, their parents have just lost the message like a lot of Christians here lose the message and they might find something that Jesus said as inspiring as something Buddha said to you or I which I I just love that parallel so it really is more about what's within I think, yeah and just listening and being self honest to what legitimately resonates you know another point of that. Uh, which I wholeheartedly agree. I, I, I imagine that is the situation a lot of times. And I think part of uh, one of the components of that is the idea of, um, how do I want to say it? Uh, discovering something for yourself. You know, like baptizing babies into a religion, that feels more culty than like, I don't know, a coming of age uh, culture where, um, you know, and I don't know anything really about this but i have an idea of like maybe perhaps like indigenous cultures would have like coming of age celebrations where like people have a chance to like decide like do do you actually feel the way that we do things in this culture do you want to be a part of this you know and, I, and you know Christi christianity does have their version of that confirmation as one of their sacraments and stuff or at least catholicism um but yeah, I don't know. I think there's just something to be said for uh, actually with our own firsthand experience, finding something that resonates. And I think that's why so many people are gravitating towards psychedelics now and why psychedelics have such actual legitimate power and value is because it's an avenue. It's a tool. It's a medicine for actually feeling the divine moment and the divine presence that is literally here all the time. Yeah, perfectly said. Yeah, the, the the felt presence of direct experience. Yeah, it, it, it's exactly that. Like like Terrence McKenna would say, hundred um, percent. But there really is nothing. There's nothing more powerful than that because that's really where the action is. Like you can't not be where you are. But the more idea, the moment, or the more philosophies you try to hang on your moment. Uh, it's, it's just kind of the further way you get from your direct experience because you're kind of arguing for something that's not being directly experienced when, when what's directly experienced doesn't need words because it already just is. The, the more stories you try to build, the, the, the further way you get from that. And we're so involved in our own stories and other people are so involved in their own stories that we don't even recognize what is a story. And I think enough psychedelics or any amount of psychedelics really for many people are just kind of it's enough of a shock to get you out of the stories that you've been telling to be like, wow, I didn't even realize that, that wasn't real because I, we're kind of in a moment in time where we're so far from understanding what truth is or even who we are as people or individuals or a nation or whatever, where we don't know anything about our own identity, but neither does anybody else around us. So we have no clues. Um, and if you don't have any discipline or any like, I guess, natural inborn capacity to instantly awaken yourself. 
um, you know, psychedelics or any kind of medical intervention or pharmacological, I think was the Terrence McKenna word, any pharmacological intervention uh, is greatly, greatly helpful. Not that they will give you the answer, but they give you the door to find the answer. Right. I think is the best way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, and I'm going to take this into a tangent at this point, or at least steer into a somewhat different topic about like uh, AI and how we're, we're really at the brink of a almost unfathomable, like new era of humanity and the next we, we're, we're we're birthing a species here folks like yeah <laughs> literally i mean because i feel like you're on this level that like consciousness is consciousness and intelligence is intelligence you want to say it's artificial it's still i don't know i'm not saying it's necessarily self-aware it could be mm-hmm. it, it has the potential of becoming self-aware and then you know who are we to say that like organic and analog awareness is different than digital awareness. You know what I mean? It's really just bringing up a lot of big questions. But my but my point of bringing that up is more so on the side of like, you know, when we're looking at the world almost almost constantly through the lenses of these screens and stuff these days, we don't know what's real. You know, the the what we used to call deep fake. Now we just call it just yeah. normal AI doing its thing, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, as the like actors are being replaced by their AI, like counterparts and stuff like that, as we speak, you know, all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, it's wild and it's, and it's almost maddening and it is sort of like a Pandora's box that I think a lot of people are like maybe freaking out about, like getting exposed to kind of in a classic psychedelic come up type of way. Um, but I think the the value that we could extract from it or learn through it is to accept the actual truth that life here as we know it is illusion, you know, and that everything is story and that facts aren't necessarily truth. Mm. Facts are much more fluid than we we're raised to believe in the education system and through the mainstream media sources and everything like that, you know? So, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but you, you see where I'm getting at with, with all that? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the AI, AI thing in particular is getting a little tricky, but, uh, it's definitely the, where we're going, whether anybody likes it or not, it's here, uh, it's happening. Uh, I guess, you know, <laughs> we're going to have to work with it one way or another. Um, and it's definitely only going to evolve. I mean, already, like you're saying, you know, actors are getting replaced. There's a big writer strike um, in Hollywood now because they're trying to replace a lot of jobs with like, you know, AI prompted things. Uh, so it's definitely going to get more complex. And we have our own ways, I guess, of judging, like, you know, what is self-aware, what isn't. But at the point where things are algorithmically determining things and making their own judgments and decisions, like they're they're becomes a threshold where I don't know we can say what is or isn't conscious at this point because we don't recognize it. Like there's definitely intelligence in animals and plants that we don't recognize. So we wouldn't really call them sentient, but they have an awareness we don't understand. Uh, in the same way, I think these computers, if they already don't, they're going to develop some sort of awareness we won't really be able to understand because it's not human awareness. So we're not gonna be able to identify it through our human criteria 
Um, and I have no answers as to how we're going to tackle that problem when we get there, if we're not already there. But uh, it seems to be more like we're going to have to live in harmony with what's coming rather than uh, shy away from it because uh, it's here to stay, it looks like. Hey, man, I think you just nailed it with with that word choice at the end, like harmonizing with it truly is key. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, uh, if we if we come to the table with gratitude, we're already winning. Yeah. You know, so I think a big key is is to not approach this with how do we dominate? You know, and I think that's kind of what my whole point was, is that the value in both psychedelic revolution and uh, AI revolution is that it challenges our egocentrism. You know, whether that be on just a personal level of like, I I believe that I'm this person. I believe that blah, 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 you know, Um, eat uh, five grams dry and complete and total darkness and you find out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just one of those things, Um, you know, same deal with with AI. It's just we we can no longer just go to the go to the TV and expect that uh, truth is going to be expressed through these uh, news channels that are even literally categorized as entertainment and their cable yeah categories <laughs> and stuff like that you know it's just anyway so you know whatever obviously there's going to be growing pains and everything to people coming to these realizations but I think that once we can like break through that initial ego grip of its expectation of of reality being the solid thing that we've been brought up to believe um yeah i think it's a homecoming in a certain sense i think it will free us in a, in a way yeah, yeah it's interesting i never thought too too much about it because it's i mean i guess it's not that new anymore but in my view it's just happening very quickly but it's new enough to me where i'm like i don't even know how to dive into this but the, the framework we're looking at it through now, I really like because it's kind of just, again, being very present with the moment and what is. And, you know, whether you like it, whether you hate it, whether you don't understand it, and I, I think I'm all three at once, uh, it's here. Uh, it's definitely a part of our world at this moment. Um, and I guess it's up to everybody how they integrate that into their experience. I'm not going to tell anybody what to do, but, you know, pretending it's not here is just blatant ignorance because it is. Uh, whether you want to engage with it or not is definitely 100% up to every individual. But it's a part of our world now. Uh, it might just be a call to turn away from the screens or it might be a challenge uh, for us to really meet these things. Uh, and, you know, in the same way that we kind of came into this world and don't know why we brought something into this world and it's not going to understand why it's here. So it might be our challenge to be like proper dualism others for creating something we don't understand, but trying to help it out in this world, however we can do that. Uh, I guess there's a lot of ways to look at it and I don't have any particularly strong uh, certainty on any of them, but it's definitely something we're going to have to ask in the not too distant future. Yeah, that's the thing. And, um, you know, it, I, I guess we live in a sort of endless uh, stream of irony but on on one hand, like I feel, uh, let me just put it bluntly. I would I would like to convince everyone of the idea that we need to stop being so domineering with our environment, you know. But I'm I want to dominate the uh, the predominant paradigm so yeah. that it becomes more <laughs> harmonious, you know. So it's like you know, of course, I don't necessarily have that power to do that. What I do have the power to do is to be real with myself about how am I interacting in the world, you know. Am I harmonizing with 
the people and things in my immediate surrounding, you know, that classic Jack Cornfield quote of, you know, tend to the part of the garden that you can touch, you know, and I do believe that that will ripple outward oh, yeah, yeah. and that we, that, that we do change the world by changing ourselves. And I think that we're entering a paradigm where that, that sentence doesn't sound crazy. I think if we begin to break mm-hmm. down this egocentrism of our story being the only real story when we realize the fluidity of, of nature and bring more lucidity into the dream. You know, I, I guess basically what I'm, what I'm talking about and to relate it back to the dream talk is that our, our default program on earth right now as a person is to believe that this dream that we're in, this life is the real reality and just right it, it's like being in a dream and not knowing that you're dreaming and being so convinced on an emotional level to the point that you you would defend it and you would go mad if you start to wake from the dream because you're like no that that's the reality yeah you know so mm-hmm. it's like can we bring some lucidity to this life to this dream yeah, yeah. Uh, you reminded uh, me of a dream i had a long time ago actually um which was, I'll sum up just the end of it, which was really the significant part. It was I, basically, the thrust of it was I was in like a prison line or like with a group of prisoners, and we were all marching. We were told we were going to like go like in the mines, like digging for rocks or something. But I just had the intuitive understanding that we were marching towards our deaths. Like this was a death march. We were all getting killed. We weren't doing the thing. But right before the end of the dream, I didn't actually like go to the place to get killed, but I just woke up like in this line. But I've but had a lot of lucid dreams in my past, so I just had this moment of lucidity. I was like, oh, this is just a dream. We can keep doing this walk. I'm going to wake up and be fine. And that was a really powerful dream because I realized, oh, that's what this life is, that I'm going to meet my death. And I'm going to be like, oh, no, this is it. This is the end. But uh, hopefully I can have enough lucidity at the last moment to be like, oh, no, this was just a dream. I'm going to wake up and be fine in five seconds. You know, like, I, I think that's the goal is just to really realize that. Like, this is just one aspect of experience, just like a dream is an aspect of experience. And like you said, like the thinking this is the real reality, I think is really the only mistake is that this is just one experience and we don't have to cling to it any more or less tightly than we cling to every dream that passes in the night. Absolutely. I really love that imagery and that you brought it up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel that. And it's, it's a fractal experience, you know? So maybe at the end of life, life literally does become a dream. We do literally become awakened or lucid to, to the dream. I don't know. It's at that point where I probably should start talking, stop talking about it. But uh, also we got Zoom uh, pressuring me to end the conversation. So um, I do like to end episodes by just asking um, if there's anything in particular that you want to highlight about what we talked about or anything that you didn't get a chance to say that you wanted to, wanted to bring up. Maybe it, ideally like a, a reminder that we can bring into everyday life, like an action step or something like that. But whatever, whatever comes to mind. Oh, love that. Um, yeah, and the more general part would just be uh, definitely pay attention to your dreams as from whatever you can rec- like remember from every night. Uh, you don't, I would recommend the dream journal, but even beyond that, you don't have to keep the dream journal. Just start to give any credence at all to your night dreams. And a practice I would like to invite everyone to try, which comes from this book that I'm reading, The Kabbalah of Light by Catherine Shainberg. Uh, it's about using waking dreams or using imaginative practices uh, in your everyday life. So it's just to close your eyes, uh, count backwards from three to one and see the one tall, clear and bright. And you breathe out three times. 
So breathe out once, see the three. Breathe out second time, see the two. Breathe out the third time, see the one. And within this space, you can literally create a waking dream and inspire anything. So a quick exercise I'll run us through is imagine yourself in your meadow, which is your perfect place. You're outside and the weather is nice and beautiful. Breathe out once and see an angel descend from the sky. See it hold out something and you hold out your hand to it. Notice whether it's your right hand or your left hand. If it's your right hand, acknowledge that you're willing to receive something that you can work with right now. If it's your left hand, acknowledge that you don't feel worthy of an angel's gift and switch it to your right hand. Breathe out and accept the angel's gift of light. Breathe out once and notice what the angel gave you. And breathe out once again and decide whether you'll keep it or discard it. And then breathe out and open your eyes. Did you see the angel give you anything? Yeah. What did it give you? It was like just a generic like angel prop, which by <laughs> the end of the dream, I identified as being like one of those small harps. Yeah, I mean, that was just like a quick exercise I just made up, but the idea is that oh, nice. you can prompt your imagination. You just prompt your imagination to work with something and then the dream will inspire something that you didn't think of, which is why it's a dream and not a fantasy, because it wasn't something that you worked on, the dream just gives it to you. So you can just kind of utilize an intuitive practice to kind of just like do the breathing exercise, three, two, one, and do it anytime now during the day when you're having a problem and then acknowledge that you can imagine the solution to it and it will be given to you. So I just want to invite everyone to do that during the day where it feels natural. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for having this conversation, man. I see this is about to bump us off. So uh, you, want, you want to wrap here? That feel good? Yeah, that cool. sounds good. I super enjoy talking to you. Let's yeah, man. Stay in touch for sure. And I Absolutely. Love to do this again. Let's do this again soon for sure. Heck yeah. See you, man. Keep it flowing. Is that right? Yeah, be good. I keep, I keep thinking that I'm waking up, but I'm still in a dream. It seems like it's going on forever. I can't get out of it, and I want to wake up for real. How do you really wake up? If that's what you're thinking, I mean, you, you probably should. I mean, you know, if you can wake up, you should. Because, you know, someday, it's really as long as you're in your sleep, it's easy.